Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly Wrap. Uh, This week is episode five. I'm really excited to bring this one to you today. Um, And really, the headlines are that the markets are really sitting at a critical level, um, especially if you're looking at not only the resistance levels that they're sitting at, but the Fibonacci retracements, especially uh, traditional Fibonacci retracements during a bull market or during a bear market, rather. The Fed is continuing to fight against inflation, and we have global tensions rising. So um, we're going to take a look at the jobs report, the Federal Reserve, corporate forecasts, geopolitical tensions, stock indices, stocks, Bitcoin, and more. So uh, let's get right into it. So the first thing I want to take a look at is the jobs report. So um, we had 250,000 jobs expected and we added 528,000. So um, we added a lot more jobs than expected. Some people thought that with the Fed being as aggressive as they were, that we would have less jobs added, that uh, that would typically be a sign of a recession is uh, people becoming unemployed and people not being able to hold jobs. But we saw quite the opposite of that. We actually saw over double the amount of jobs that we expected be added to the um, to the market. So U.S. employers added a robust 528,000 jobs last month, helping the economy recruit uh, the 22 million positions lost early in the pandemic. So we actually just this past month have gotten back to the amount or recovered all of the jobs that we lost during uh the COVID pandemic during February and March of 2020. So this whole time since then, we've been we've been slowly grinding and getting these jobs back. And we finally are back to where we were before the pandemic jobs wise. So um, that indicator would go to show that um, the Fed is doing its job well, if you just look at it from that perspective. Um, but I'll get into another perspective in just a second. So uh, the jobs recovery took nearly two and a half years and included a stretch in the first half of the year when payrolls grew faster than during any other post-World War II period that also featured the start of an economic contraction. Um, So I think it's hard to compare because we lost so many, we lost more jobs in less time than we ever had. And yeah, you're going to see a lot of job growth after an event like that. Uh, We kind of had like forced reopenings from the governments around the world. And yeah, obviously that's going to, you're going to have massive job growth after you have a forced opening after a, a, a huge black swan event, like a pandemic that forces everything to shut down and you had that amount of jobs being lost. So I think the numbers can be a little bit skewed. Also, this number does not take into account people who are taking on second jobs due to inflation. So I think a large chunk of this number is from people who are really struggling. Um, A lot of people that are outside of poverty or um, kind of in the upper class don't even really realize that the majority of people throughout the world and in the United States are really suffering from inflation. People, uh, food prices are uh, really, really high, and a lot of people are taking on second jobs. So would that indicate a healthy economy? I don't think so. And this number doesn't take that into account. All this number does is which we'll get into on the next slide is allow the Fed to become more aggressive with their uh, demand destruction and their quantitative tightening. Um, 
the other headline from this report was that unemployment fell to 3.5%. So Fed, the Fed is keeping in line uh, their mandate of full employment, which allows them to go aggressively at inflation. And um, I don't really like to get into conspiracy theories when it comes to stock markets and stuff, but wouldn't it make sense that if we have a huge, huge inflation problem in the United States and the government knows how destructive that that could be to our economy, especially if we want to stay the, the global superpower when it comes to um, uh, just the, the global economy, wouldn't it make sense that they would do everything they could to make sure that we could attack inflation as aggressively as possible? And we would not be able to attack inflation as aggressively as possible if this number was not this high or below the expectations especially. So not saying they fudged the numbers, but obviously they didn't take into account struggling individuals who are taking on second jobs. Obviously, they're not taking into account the skewed numbers from the massive amounts of jobs that we lost from the COVID pandemic. They're just going to put out the best number they can so that the Fed gets the green light to go even harder at tightening the economy. So those job creation numbers, whether they signal a strong economy or not, it gives the Fed the green light to be even more aggressive. And I think the markets got ahead of themselves pricing in a Fed pivot. Uh, we saw signs, or maybe we were starting to see signs that inflation had peaked, but the Fed says that they haven't seen signs that inflation has peaked. And now with this strong jobs uh, growth, the Fed is going to be even more aggressive. So um, the Fed raised rates by 0 0.75 uh, percentage points at its last meeting uh, following a similar increase in June, which was the June increase was the highest since 1994. And we got back to back of those in uh, uh, in, in June and July. So what's going to happen in August? So another unusually large increase could be appropriate at our next meeting. But the decision quote, will depend on the data we get between now and then. So that was Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. Uh, he said that uh, a little over a week ago. Um, and really, the markets did get ahead of themselves. I mean, what's changed since the bottom in the stock market that we've seen since in June to now? There, there really is no difference. If anything, the only thing that's changed is that we have heightened geopolitical tensions around the world in Taiwan and Russia and China, and the price of oil is coming down. The only thing that is signaling that inflation has peaked is that energy prices are collapsing. And yeah, that's going to definitely affect the, the CPI number, the core inflation number. But is that really affecting the reality of our economic situation? Not really. Okay, gas is cheaper. Okay, what else? We're facing massive heat waves in the U.S. that are keeping uh, air conditioning and, and droughts that are keeping water prices high. So really, utility prices and energy prices in the U.S. are going up. And the only thing that's going down is the price of oil and the price of gasoline. So obviously, the price of food is still really high. And that doesn't look like it's going to come down anytime soon because those effects are really felt later on as well. So... I think the markets might have gotten ahead of themselves, especially with Fed speak like this. So Fed officials have pushed back this week against investors' expectations for a sooner end to rate rises. Chicago Fed President Charles Evans told reporters this week that the economy slowed as he was anticipating 
Uh, he would support raising rates by a half percentage point at the central bank's meeting in September, but he said a third consecutive 0.75 point uh, rate rise was not off the table if uh, the inflation data was hotter than anticipated. So even if they do a half percentage point, we're seeing rates rise faster than ever before. So in my opinion, we, we should see quantitative the, the, the consequences of quantitative tightening on the markets like we have in the past either accelerated or consistent with or maybe even worse than they were before. I don't think it really makes sense to have stronger markets when we're seeing quantitative tightening at a pace that we've never seen it before. Um, so there's a feeling that the labor market is moving back into balance, but it's only the beginning of the adjustment, Mr. Powell said last week. So really, they're using those job growth numbers to justify what they're doing with the rate hikes. Uh, Mr. Powell said that to slow and then stop their rate increases, officials needed to be confident that inflation was going to return to its 2% target. Uh, and that's not something that they want to avoid doing. That needs to happen, he said. And to really put this in perspective... If we saw inflation numbers at 0% for this month and 0% for every report for the rest of the year, inflation for the year of 2022 would still be over 6%. So I don't see them slowing down these rate hikes because even if they're able to stop inflation in its tracks for the rest of the year, we're still going to see triple, over triple of the target for the year. And that's something they're still going to need to adjust going into next year. So I know that there's been a stat circling that markets typically bottom six months before the last rate hike. But I think it's a little bit premature to say that we're six months out from the last rate hike. I mean, if we still get inflation numbers coming in that are even even if they're lower, uh, we're still going to see way over 6% for the end of the year. We could see 7, 8, 9% for the, for the end of the year. And that's uh, over triple. It could be over quadruple, depending on where we finish the year, the Fed's target. So, I mean, we're way, way, way premature from pricing in a Fed pivot. And the markets seem to have begun to price that in. I mean, we're over 9%. Uh, I believe we're actually over 10% from the bottom. So uh, that could be a little premature and could become destructive to the markets uh, when reality sets in uh, for that. So in addition to that, corporate forecasts are falling. So we've seen the majority of earnings reports so far for this earnings season. And we've seen a trend where corporations are either getting rid of guidance or reducing guidance for the coming quarters. And how should that reflect on the stock market? Well, the stock market should be a forward-looking mechanism. And what does that mean? It should be pricing in what we're expecting in the coming quarters. So corporate earnings expectations are falling, and that means the stock market is at risk of appearing expensive again because it should be starting to price in those reduced earnings forecasts. So Wall Street often uses the ratio of a company's share price to its earnings, that's just the P to E ratio, as a gauge for whether a stock appears cheap or overpriced. By, the mar- by that metric, the market as a whole had been especially pricey for much of the past two years while we were experiencing quantitative easing policy and a lot of money coming into the system. And um, that easy monetary policy propelled the major stock indices to 
dozens of new highs. Um, and the, this quote on the bottom is an investment uh, strategist at U.S. Bank, Rob Haworth, uh, and he says, it's hard to argue that the market is cheap. We haven't seen uh, the end of earnings resetting. So in addition to the quantitative tightening that we were talking about on the last slide, we haven't seen earnings kind of f fall. So people, a term people will use is earnings recession. And we've kind of begun that with the forecast beginning to fall. But once that won't end until we see guidance kind of go back up to quote unquote, uh, a normal market. So um, with with the forecast falling, we should see actual earnings falling in the coming quarters. And until we see the guidance get better, that's when we'll really see the earnings reset. That's what he's referring to. So the third quarter bottoms up earnings per share estimate, an aggregate of consensus projections for individual companies in the S&P 500, fell by 2.5% in July, according to FactSet. That is the biggest reduction during the first month of a quarter in more than two years and a larger decline than the historic average. So really, these kind of work together with uh, the Fed. The past two and a half years, we've seen quantitative easing. So that would help uh, these companies make more profit, help more money go into the stock markets. And now that we're seeing quantitative tightening, we're now seeing that kind of spill over into this. So the market's valuation is back on the rise as well. After slipping from lofty levels at the beginning of the year, the S&P 500 is trading at 17.5 times expected earnings over the next 12 months, up 15 point th up from 15.3 in mid-June and slightly ahead of its 10-year average. So does it make sense? So the average, the it's still above the 10-year average. And the 10-year average takes into account bull markets, bear markets, recessions, the pandemic, quantitative easing when the markets were really high. Does it make sense for us to be above the average? And does it make sense for us to be up above the low from June when we're seeing these corporate forecasts falling and when we're seeing the Fed say that they're going to raise rates continually at a rate that we've never seen before? Does it make sense for valuations to be on the rise? To me, it doesn't make sense. And to a lot of people, I feel like it doesn't make sense. But I feel like the problem was that the market got ahead of itself, saying that the Fed was going to pivot. We got these earnings where the numbers were missing. We had more be more misses than usual. But big companies like Apple and Amazon still uh, were able to post good enough earnings. But they still... Uh, gave reduced forecast or cautioned in their forecast and the vast majority of the market reduced their forecast or got rid of guidance. So uh, it shouldn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for us to be over the average and over from June in uh, valuation wise. I have that chart right on the right. Uh, that's the forward 12 month PDE ratio. Uh, it's obviously fallen heavy from the peak. We were way over uh, the average. The average is somewhere around 15. Um, and we almost got there at the bottom, but we, we've since bounced back. So uh, you, can, you could draw a trend line uh, on that uh, chart there. Um, and it would look like we'd be at a resistance there. So what else are we seeing? We're seeing the rise of geopolitical complications. So... Uh, tensions in Taiwan are rising. Um, 
so obviously Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the U.S. House, uh, she went to Taiwan uh, last week, and China was not happy with that. So in the wake of her visit, um, there have been missile flyovers of Taiwan from China. Um, China has been conducting a lot of military exercises near the Taiwan Strait, um, and there were rumors that they simulated what would have been an invasion of Taiwan uh, during those exercises. So um, it's not good. That That's not good. And with China and Russia being allies, Russia has invaded the Ukraine. Russia has created their own monetary system to break away from SWIFT to kind of uh, alleviate their economic sanctions that were imposed to them by NATO. Um it just feels like something's happening that hasn't happened since World War II. And now if China invades Taiwan, obviously that would affect global supply chains. It would be devastating for chip manufacturing as Taiwan Semiconductors is the largest chip manufacturer on the planet. Um, and if they were able to cut that off from the rest of the world, it would be devastating to our supply chains and it'd be devastating to growth. Uh, around the world and then in the United States especially. But bigger than that, it it feels like world conflicts or the world tensions are were kind of separating into two sides and China and Russia with their invasions. It, it I mean, we haven't seen things like this since World War II. So the spat unfolding right now also makes any kind of serious reapproachment between China and the United States harder. Uh, obviously, initiatives like removing bilateral tariffs may become too heavy a political lift. Uh, obviously, that's not good for the, the global economy when there are heavy tariffs. And multinationals like Apple uh, are eyeing an increasingly unstable geopolitical environment around China's periphery, and they may be forced to further accelerate their diversification plans, eventually creating more resilient supply chains, but significantly raising costs. So obviously, that's not good for corporate profits and it's not good for the global economy at large. Um, the cycle of escalation, the ideological conflict, also has its own logic that can be difficult to derail and uh, lead to unpredictable outcomes, so it can be hard to predict. Ms. Pelosi is far from the only important elderly politician that will be eyeing their legacy in the months and years ahead. Chinese President Xi uh, Jinping, sorry if I'm botching that, I know I am, uh, will ultimately decide what course China takes um, and, you know, it just sucks that the global elite are going to have such a huge impact on the entire planet and the markets. Um, obviously, uh, they're going to make other people fight their wars, their conflicts, but ultimately it's about more power. They're, they're in the elite class. What are they worried about when they wake up in the morning? They don't feel the same type of pressures that everybody else feels. They, it's about power and control. So that's really what we're feeling the effects of now, and it's unfortunate. Um, so I have a chart from the Dow Jones. It's from 1935 to 1950, uh, and it kind of encapsulates another the most recent large world uh, global war conflict. So you see the Dow Jones, the peak was uh, just shy of 200, and it took, you know, 15 years for it to get growth beyond that. Um, the markets are really volatile during global war. Obviously, it's been uh, about 90 years since the beginning of this chart, but I thought I would include it just for you to reference, uh, just to reference, so...
let's move on to the S&P 500. So um, the S&P 500 sitting at a really critical resistance. I'm going to take a look at the chart on the left first. So the chart on the left, I included the uh, the moving the 50 uh, day moving average, which was respected during the previous bull market. So I thought it would be important during this bear market. Um, it's honestly been respected a little bit during this bear market as well. So I would I included it. Uh, it's been respected during this rally that we're in right now. Um, and then I I drew out the level that the S and P five hundred is sitting at right now, uh, which is obviously a really big resistance. And I drew out the level that it could get to if it broke through. So um, the S and P five hundred's been rallying very very aggressively. Um, you can see that. Um, once it broke through that trend line, it sold off back to the trend line and then immediately surged beyond. So I'm keeping the tr that moving average. Uh, I might have said trend line, but I'm keeping that moving average on there until I see it becoming irrelevant. But it's still relevant to my analysis. So um, obviously, the markets have rallied really heavily. I think we're somewhere up over 12% from the bottom uh, since it, uh, June. And obviously, we went over some reasons why that may be a little bit premature. So it would coincide with the resistance we're at right now. Obviously, we have the inflation report coming out. And if that is bad and the Fed it continues to tighten the economy really, really hard, then we'll see, in my opinion, an aggressive sell-off. Um, I think that the market would reprice really fast as it does during a bear market and how it has following bear market rallies during this bear market. Typically, you see it sell off very sharply after a rally during a bear market and during this market especially. So um, it's kind of coiling at the resistance, which would also signal a big move coming up as what we saw in the last sell off. I think it would make sense for the market to immediately kind of make its way back towards the bottom if we uh, if we see a disappointing inflation number and the Fed raises rates by 0.75% again. Um, that would make sense to me. And obviously that it could go lower than the low we saw in June if we see a continuation of that and geopolitical, uh, say China invades Taiwan, say TSM. There's just a lot that could happen if that gets cut off. Worst case scenario, obviously inflation's still out of control. China invades Taiwan, TSM gets cut off from the global supply. I mean, that would just be devastating to the global economy. That would be worst case scenario and we would see a, bot a low lower than what we saw in June. Best case scenario, China does not invade Taiwan. We're able to kind of ease those pressures there. Um, inflation comes in lower than expected. Maybe uh, the Fed is, doesn't have to raise rates as aggressively. Either way, I think it's tough for the market to at least not correct from here. Obviously, when the market is this high above the moving average, that signals a correction. So at the very least, I'm expecting a little bit of selling pressure. But to what extent that is and how serious it is depends on other factors so that you can't really analyze from technical analysis. So the chart on the right I have is a Fibonacci retracement from the top of the market back in January. And uh, if you take a look at where that yellow arrow is pointing, that would be a 50% recovery from the bottom in June. And throughout the entire history of the S&P 500, once it is reached or rather breached the 50% recovery level from a bottom, that has been the bottom. So what is that saying? If we move up a little bit higher uh, on the S&P 500, 
to that level and we breach it, uh, that would be 4,211, it looks like, on the S&P 500. If we breach that and close above, that would be signaling that June was the bottom. And any sort of uh, selling that comes into the market should be met with buying pressure. And, it, and we should theoretically be entering into a new up market. It should be signaling a change of trend. That indicator has worked 100% of the time. There's never been a case in the S&P 500 where it's recovered more than 50% from the bottom and then made a new low in the same cycle. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on because we're really, really, really close to that. So uh, yeah, there's obviously two two ways the market could go here. And I think that the next uh, week, a couple of weeks are going to be really telling to see where we're going to go next. But obviously, we're facing a lot of selling pressure from the levels that we're at right now. So it would be even more significant if we broke through that level of 50% recovery. So uh, that's where the S&P 500 is sitting, obviously at a huge, huge level. Um, and I think there's a lot of factors outside of just technical analysis that are going to play into what's going to happen in the market. And that's how it should be, obviously. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, so Apple, this is the biggest company in the S&P 500. This is the biggest company in the tech indexes. This is the biggest company in the growth indexes. And it has been going up extremely sharply. We've had this trend line now for uh, at least two weeks of uh, Apple going up. And it hasn't broke through yet So or, or breached through yet. So Apple is kind of leading the markets higher. And I think if it cools off, which it's kind of due to cool off, um, it, it, it would also coincide with the market selling off as well. Um, I, br I like to talk about Apple just because it kind of determines the direction of the market. And obviously, it still looks bullish. There's nothing bearish on it yet. But markets, especially Apple, if you look back on this chart, even it moves up aggressively like this, but for how long? And then what usually happens after that? it usually sells off pretty aggressively or sells off a little bit and then goes into a range. So um, I would be surprised if we saw a return to the all-time highs on Apple or if we saw it breach the all-time highs. Um, if it did that, we would see the S&P 500 break through that 50% recovery level, which would indicate the bottom of the bear market, which, I mean, that would technically, we'd be going into a new bull cycle or uh, a new uptrend at least but obviously we saw on a previous slide that the valuations are still above the average and we're in this quantitative tightening environment um, and that would indicate that if that were to happen we would see a continuation of valuations going up while earnings forecasts have been going down and that wouldn't really make sense but Again, markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. So while the valuations may be not making sense, it's not to say the market couldn't do that. The market could do that, but it would be dangerous. And it would make a crash in the future more likely and probably be a worse crash than what we were in right now. So it's kind of in everyone's best interest if the market goes to fairer valuations. Um, so hopefully we'll see that and we'll see Apple cool off. So I'm, I'm showing uh, ARK Invest here. This is the flagship fund, ARKK. This is Kathy Wood's fund, obviously under a lot of scrutiny. And I'm bringing it up because for the first time since the beginning of 2021, so for a year and a half, we're seeing a base on the weekly and we're seeing higher highs on the weekly. So we haven't seen this 
uh, yet. Um, we haven't seen this type of base formation in her sector of stocks, and they've been beaten down the most, and they've been beaten down for the longest period of time. Um, so uh, I say that to say that there is still opportunity in the market, even right now with valuations kind of going back up. These stocks are still ex- way, way, way below, like down 70 plus percent. Um, and there's opportunity in the individual stocks that she holds and in the index as well. Uh, these are growth companies in the earliest stage of their business life cycles um, that she believes are going to be major disruptors to the economy in the future um, and that are going to change the way we live our lives. Um, so this is just something to, to look at. Uh, and that's not to say that it could go back to the low if we sell off in the market. It would make sense for these stocks to get sell- sold off aggressively as well. But um, I would be surprised if they went if they breached the low that they were at um, in June. I would be surprised if this index breached the low because uh, they were trading at the same level and still are. Uh, they they might be a little high that higher now, but that they were during the COVID crisis. So, um, yeah, these these stocks are extremely low, and uh, obviously they could go lower. They they're up over twenty percent from the low. Um, but there's still a opportunity there. So the last thing I want to take a look at, uh, is Bitcoin. Um, obviously Bitcoin is, and all of crypto is kind of in this crypto winter right now. Uh, the high was around 69,000 Bitcoin is currently at the time of this recording sitting slightly above 23,000. Um, obviously we had a trend line in Bitcoin, uh, from April through, uh, the end of July or the, uh, that Bitcoin broke through, but didn't really show a ton of strength following that. So Bitcoin's still kind of forming a base. Uh, we're seeing higher lows and higher highs on Bitcoin. We still haven't gotten to that twenty-eight to 30,000 level that we were kind of shooting for after we broke through this trend line and through that uh, horizontal level that it broke through as well at the same time. Um, Obviously, it's hard to look at a base being formed on Bitcoin and say that it looks bullish because Bitcoin traditionally and during this bear market uh, will form a base and then go sharply lower. So it's really hard to tell what Bitcoin will do next. It's kind of in the middle of no man's land. Obviously, we had that deal with Coinbase and BlackRock. So BlackRock's going to be working with Coinbase to bring Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to institutional investors and make it more accessible. So that's going to bring a lot more money into Bitcoin. And with the supply slowing down, we have the next Bitcoin halving happening in 2024. So there's going to be a lot more demand with little supply. Um, I saw a statistic, this was actually from Kathy Wood herself, that um, 17 million of the circulating Bitcoin are illiquid. So that's just people holding on to Bitcoin, stashing them away, storing wealth in them. Um, and that leaves uh, only five mil or sorry, leaves only four million Bitcoin to be liquid. And not all of those have even been mined yet. So there's only about 19 million Bitcoin in circulation. If 17 million aren't liquid, there's only two million uh, Bitcoin liquid right now. And we're going to see such a huge increase in demand for the coin. Um, it, it should correlate with a higher price. Um, that's what I'm expecting long-term. Obviously, in the short-term, Bitcoin is extremely volatile and we could definitely see it sell off lower, but um, things at a macro level are looking really great for Bitcoin. And my conviction in Bitcoin increases every single day. I love it. Um, I think it's going to be 
a really, really valuable tool for the monetary, the global monetary system and for individuals who are trying to store wealth in a fairer way that doesn't um, have to be monitored by a government entity or any sort of power. So obviously we're seeing an increase in um, geopolitical tensions. Uh, the IRS is gaining more people to audit your money. Um, governments everywhere have the power to confiscate your bank accounts. Um, bank accounts can shut your, or banks can shut your bank accounts down, but with Bitcoin, you really have the freedom that you're in control, you're your own bank, and no one can take that away from you. And I think that more people are waking up to that idea, and it's going to be um, a really bigger trend throughout the world in the coming decades. And obviously, that doesn't have to do with the short term price, but my conviction in it grows every day and every week that I do an episode. And I think it's a new asset class as well throughout the world. So it's important to show in these episodes. But um, obviously, if you do own Bitcoin, think about um, putting it in cold storage in your own wallet, having your own keys. Uh, obviously, a lot of people have thrown around the term, not your keys, not your coins. But that's true if you're holding it on an exchange or some other institution and they have your keys. I mean, they, they own your coins. It's no better than, than just putting money in a bank account. Obviously, you'll have exposure to that growth. But what happens if they go bankrupt? What happens if the government wants to confiscate your Bitcoin? They, they can do that. And so if you have it in cold storage, um, I use Ledger. There's other hardware wallets out there. Ledger is one of the biggest. Um, even if Ledger goes bankrupt, even if their servers go down and I can't use the app or whatever to track my Bitcoin on my phone, it's still on my hardware wallet. And all I need is my key, which I have, my seed phrase, which I have personally. No one else has access to that on the entire planet. And it's not even online anywhere. It's literally on a card. No one else has access to that but me. And even if Ledger goes out of business and they're wiped off the face of the earth, if I have the seed phrase, I have my Bitcoin and my Ethereum. I hold some Ethereum as well with me. And nobody, no government, no political entity, uh, no Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan Chase, no one can touch it. Nobody, only I can touch it. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't think a lot of people really understand that yet. And I think, especially with rising political tensions around the world. And, um, I think there's going to be a bigger shift towards the obviously the elite and the working class and keeping us in line, us as in the working class. And uh, obviously, I don't want any sort of elite ruling class to have access to my money. I want to be the only person to have access to my money. So anyways, I'll stop rambling about that. I'll, I'll, I'll cut the episode here. I feel like there's been a lot of information in this episode. Um, as always, thank you for joining me. I think I'm going to start doing these weekly episodes in this format, slideshow format. I think it looks a lot cleaner. I think it's a lot more organized and lets me get a lot more information out there. Um, so uh, thank you for watching. I'm really excited about this channel and, this, uh, the, and the podcast as well. The podcast is growing a little bit faster than the channel. So if you're listening on the podcast, be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Um, to help grow the channel would be really helpful for me and it would mean a lot. Um, if you're watching on YouTube and you're not following the podcast, uh, follow the podcast wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. Um, if you do feel like you want to support, there is a link on the YouTube channel, um, should be in the banner, and it'll take you to the podcast homepage, which has a place that you can uh, contribute 
And if you're listening to the podcast, it should be in the show notes. That link will be there in the, uh, just right in the show notes. So uh, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to follow. Be sure to share with people if you find any sort of value in this. And I will see you all tomorrow in the uh, Daily Dose. Uh, so until then, thank you.